mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we are talking about programming on principles. More specifically, we're going to talk about deloads and why they're important in your periodization. And Claire's going to give us some great nutritional insights that kind of fall along the same line as deloads in the same time frame as deloads. Okay. So, um, Claire, great to have you here. Love, yeah, love working with you every single time. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> All right. So principles, right? Principles of strength and conditioning. It's basically having your entire program being founded on established science, right? So these are things that we know to be true in, um, well, they were research at one point and then they became like these quote unquote principles, mm-hmm. right? That are mostly found in like textbooks of uh, right. people coming up, right? In strength conditioning world um, from an academic standpoint, right? So these are the things that your entire program are founded on, okay? And they are, hmm, how do I say this? They are pillars of your uh, program, right? But they also, um, they can facilitate many different forms, right? So your program could have different elements inside of it and still follow the same principles, okay? So let's not confuse the word principles with methods. Methods are flexible. They are a way to work on the principles of your program, right? So um, a certain style of training block that you may have. Gosh, I mean, I throw out terms that people may not know. Maybe give a very simplified example. Okay. So um, you may be doing different training blocks or using different training protocols. Like you may be doing linear, which is pretty steady fashion, um, just increasing like incrementally in a Mm -hmm. linear fashion, or you may be undulating, right? But your principles may be founded on let's say said principle. Okay. I mean, that's an easy one to go for. That's low hanging fruit there, but, uh, yeah, it's still founded on the said principle, but your method of using that or working that or trying to achieve the same results are different. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's kind of, let's not confuse those terms. Principles, like I said, they are the foundation. They are the pillars that really support your entire program, but just the way that it works is, way that it goes could could be a lot of different things right you can get there using different paths right 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 right. gotcha um yeah yeah we'll say that okay okay yeah so uh periodization why is it important it's important to have a plan uh to know where you're going right because if you're just kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall as one of my uh old bosses used to say um you're kind of you're going to be lost really you have no plan of what's going on Um, and and it really just kind of shows lack of knowledge that you don't take the time. I mean, like the education level must be just really low that you don't have some type of plan, right? Like whether it's Mm -hmm. written down or not, I think is beside the point. Like you need to have a plan for what's going on with your athletes. And so mapping it out and knowing what you're doing and how you want to get to this very end result, which whatever it is, if it's like a certain time of the year for um, like a certain tournament, a certain game, conference play, national championship, maybe it's a, if you're a 
a track athlete or a single event athlete, maybe it's that one event that you really need to, uh, could be a qualifying event, any of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like your plan is kind of centered around that whole schedule and the way that you program each phase should build you to whatever result that you want to have physically by the time that you get to that. And then everything inside of those phases is the specific stimuli that you want to incorporate in order to get those results. And then those results over time kind of accumulated together to give you this peak performance is that periodization, right? Yeah. So everything inside of that periodization sets reps, how many day, uh, frequency, um, intensity, volume, all that stuff right. inside your periodization. Yeah. I think uh, I obviously understand what periodization is. Maybe for, for a younger athlete who might be listening to this, how would you explain that to them and why would it, in their, from their viewpoint, why is it so important to focus on periodization? Uh, okay, okay. So just kind of a school reference here about periodization. Um, if you were to look at someone's periodized plan, uh, maybe a breakdown of it, it's almost like the syllabus for mm -hmm. your strength conditioning. Like it tells you uh, how long the how long it's going to be, like what the points are, or like what the different breakdowns of each section is going to be. It's basically the yeah, the, the syllabus yeah, for the layout of the class. Right, right, right. So that's basically what your periodization is. Uh, what was the second part of that? How would you explain the importance of it mm -hmm. to a young athlete? Yeah. So like, why do you do that? You, you need to plan it out because we're adding stress into your life and we want to build upon your athletic potential. And we have to do certain things for a certain period of time in order for your body to adapt to them, right? If you're uh, there's a, a variability uh, principle or uh, method that you can throw out there, which is good to have every once in a while. But if you're just getting different exercise each new week, your body's not necessarily knowing what's going on. I mean, like um, people say muscle confusion yeah. a lot where it's <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's like your body can't tell or like, you know, can't catch up and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, it's not a good thing because your body's not making an, an adaptation to, uh, to something specifically, right? So said principle, like I talked about, you should have an exercise planned out already because you know that it's going to give you this result mm -hmm. and stick with it. So you allow yourself to get that result, right? Like uh, if it's strength, you need to allow yourself to, number one, if you're not proficient in that movement or you haven't mastered the coordination for it. Obviously you need to master the coordination before you get any type of weight on there. Mm -hmm. And then after that, your body needs uh, time under that tension, under that load in order to get stronger and stronger throughout that range of motion to get that result. Right. So you can't just be switching up exercises every single week. Uh, you need to have time to develop in each phase. Right. And mm -hmm. there's, and that's another reason why we're talking about deload this at, um, in this podcast, because it's a certain time that you need to develop. And then there's a certain time that you need to recover. Right. right. And, and it's just that back and forth, this little ebb and flow uh, that happens that drives adaptations or changes, uh, positive changes to um, your physical uh, fitness or strength, just your um, all around athletic performance. Yeah, yeah. So good question. Yeah, that's important because I think a lot of times not a lot of times, but if that concept is not understood, I think it gets confusing or athletes get confused as to why they're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. And 
it's not because the strength coach is lazy and they just don't want to program anything new. It's because you have to be consistent right. with the program that you're on, um, particularly because it's laid out mm -hmm. that way for a reason. The end goal has already been determined and you're working towards that. You're not just doing right. the same thing because somebody doesn't feel like programming something. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, great point because, um, what is it, like program, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Anyways, like when a program becomes stale to you, mm -hmm. right, it's, um, it's hard for people to get into it, but I think you need to understand you need to trust the, the professionals who are actually programming that for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, a, a big thing I would say is like make sure you're working with somebody who's certified, right? Mm -hmm. Certified by um, a governing body that actually knows what, what's happening. Um, yeah. I, I would say mm -hmm. more so lean on those certified professionals who require um, an entire, at least an entire undergrad um, uh, degree. Degree, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say program again, but um, yeah, degree for specifically geared towards that. And you have to have mm -hmm. something specific, a certain uh, degree to actually take the test. Right. So um, just the big two off the top of my head, um, NSCA, CSCCA, no, no disrespect to ACSM or NASM. Um, but I mean, cause I I'm NSCA. So obviously I'm backing that my whole, um, undergrad degree was set up Mm -hmm. Our program was set up for that, right? So we, we right. learned everything uh, underneath that umbrella. But I, I would make sure that you know the credentials of the person you're working with. Um, I I would steer clear of like people who work with groups if they're only like certified to work with like one or two people at a time. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily that they don't know what they're doing, but maybe they don't know how to manage everything correctly. Um, right. So it's, it gets a little difficult. You don't want to get lost in the back. But anyways, I don't want to go off on a, a on tangent a there. Uh, but <laughs> It's important to work with somebody um, that has those types of credentials um, mm -hmm. just so you know what's happening. Um, that is, it's going to be beneficial to you overall, right? Like right. training is beneficial, but back to our point, like you have to undertake a certain amount of stress consistently for you to get the results that you want, right? Mm -hmm. So don't get bored in your program, right? It's not... You may do, I mean, honestly, a program that does, let's just say that squats and let's say you're doing back squat and you back squat every main lower body day for your entire year, right? Mm -hmm. Some people may think that's boring, but you probably don't understand there's different ways of executing the back squat, which can change mm -hmm. the results that you're working on or like the, the results that you're going to get from it, right? right? So whether that's partial range of motion, full range of motion, whether that's um, um, working on different phases like eccentrics or mm -hmm. a, a lot of people call them negatives, whether that's doing ISO-specific training, whether that's doing um, emphasis on the concentric where you're going fast on the way up. I mean, there are just many ways to change what you're doing, right? And so... Um, you you're going to find your program is going to enjoy some variability in it, but mm -hmm. there should be staples of your program that are specific to your sport and to your athletic development overall. Right. So as a youth athlete, um, if you're out there and you're like a middle school, high school age kid, strength really should be your main goal. I mean, until you get to a point where you're so strong that, you know, 
you can you can squat at least two times your body weight, right? You should really be focusing on strength, right? Not to say that you can't focus on speed and power in that same time, but you really need to be developing as much strength as possible because strength is the foundation for your other force capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you can't generate enough force, you're probably not going to be able to do what you want to do in terms of um, speed and power, okay? But I don't want people to think that I'm saying being strong means you're going to be fast. That's not true, okay? But it's just those underlying capabilities and uh, that allow you to be faster if you train on it. Mm -hmm. But you need to be strong first, right? Um, I might talk about a little bit of research today. Might not, okay? Trying trying to keep (laughs) you... in the air still. Well, well, I'm trying (laughs) trying to keep you engaged here instead of me just rattling off... uh, (laughs) Uh, research research all the time. But there is some research out there where um, they had stronger individuals uh, or they had a a group of people training for different stimulus, right? And the stronger individuals had better adaptations Mm -hmm. to speed and power, right? So you need to be strong before you can do those other things too, right? Yeah. Um, So yeah, just really quickly, don't don't get bored in your programming. Um, you know, if, if you have questions, you should ask you should ask your coach or ask whoever's putting you through the program. Right. Um, good professionals, solid quality professionals would love to explain, you know, why they selected that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they can't, if they don't offer anything, I would be maybe very, find a new coach. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very wary of that stuff, right? Like, yeah. um, this is a it's a te- it should be a teaching moment for that coach right so mm-hmm. yeah we're coaches also we should be teaching them about if you know if they dare to dive deeper into it yeah we should encourage that yeah and, and meet it important. with something positive yeah it's yeah. important to know the why because then i think it gives them more incentive to do it it's the same thing on my side too like if i just tell somebody to do something and they mm-hmm. have no idea why they're doing it yeah there's not as much buy-in yeah exactly but i mean i i've generally categorized athletes from my experience um, in the collegiate realm as being um, three different, maybe four different areas, right? Mm -hmm. I won't talk about the other one. I'll just talk about Um, the 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 three three. that I want to, okay? (laughs) So there's typically athletes that uh, will will just work, right? Like they just want to know what we're doing Mm -hmm. and they're going to go out and do it, right? Those kids are great, right? Mm -hmm. And the other two are great too. Um, There's also, there are kids who want to know more about the science behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And those kids are great too because they actually really care on a deeper level, right? Yeah. I feel like a lot of those also end up in the field. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, Or or some type of, you know, um, medical field or biology type of uh, experience. But, and then the third group of kids, (laughs) they want to know how it's going to translate to their sport, right? Mm -hmm. There's probably a little bit of science that comes into that, right? But they want to know, hey, if I, if I'm doing this, what part of my game is it helping me with? Right. Right. So uh, those are just like my experience of the three uh, more positive uh, types of groups of kids that you you might find, you know, athletes that you might have um, in your session. Mm -hmm. So as you're going through this program, right, and you're not getting bored doing the same thing, <laughs> uh, another another thing, another principle that should uh, happen in your program is progressive overload, right? So, and what that means is you should be um, excelling, right? You should get overloaded in a progressive way, not thrown to, not doing like um, three sets of 15 body weight air squats and then the next week you're maxing out right there should (laughs) yeah there should be a progress a progression to how you're getting loaded for 
um, different exercises, especially if you're going to test, right? Um, and I used to be, speaking of testing, I used to be back and forth about, um, I'm going to do three rep max or I'm going to do five rep max. But mm-hmm. I mean, but like, then I hear smarter people talk at conferences and they make a good point. Like I should just do one rep max because if I do three and five, there, there's inherent risk to lifting anyway. Mm-hmm. But if I'm trying to get somebody to do something maximally, like maybe I should just do one, right? Right. Instead of having them do five, five or three, right? Like, cause that's a w- lot. What's in the air on my third rep or my fifth rep there? You know, as I'm at an appropriate load mm-hmm. or or weight for anyone who's when I say load, I mean weight, right? Yeah. Like, what am I risking by? having a fatigued athlete trying to do a fifth or third rep with the appropriate load for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, that's just an opinion piece right there, but, but it makes sense. There's more risk. I mean, yeah, there's more risk. The more reps you do, there's more risk. Right. 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 Um, yeah. especially with a, with a heavy load. So, I mean, the, the whole thing about that is it should be progressive enough that you've been under loads like that before. So your body's used to it. So you're not going to just try to max out like you're not, uh, spending a lot of time just doing 135 pounds on back squat. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, it's test day. I got to do 365. You know, you've never felt that. You've never felt anything close to that. Right. So, um, don't even like make sure that your program is progressively Mm -hmm. overloading you. Right. And it doesn't, depending on what your goal is, it may be, uh, progressive in weight, it may be progressive in reps. Mm-hmm. It may be progressive in the range of motion that you're doing for those. So mm-hmm. it, it varies, right? But everything should be um, a pretty um, safe, steady. I mean, like I, I hesitate to use the word steady because that makes me feel like it's a linear periodization. It doesn't have to be. But yeah. anyways, just make sure that it's it's appropriate for what the result you want it to be and that it's safe every time right so that's kind of a little bit about progressive overload it's it's got to be um it's got to be making you better by stimulating your muscles a little bit more each time they do it right mm-hmm. and, and that could happen in many different things right so yeah. how, how does your body um adapt to this stress that's going on well there's something called general adaptation syndrome okay gas for short okay um, and it happens in different phases here, right? we got the alarm stage. That's like when you're first introduced to it, right? Uh, normally, like people are really sore during these times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's the first time you've squatted in a long time. And then a couple days later, you know. You're still sore. Whoa, yeah, yeah. yeah. So your body is in an alarm state really mm-hmm. because it's trying to adapt to the stress. And you just, you just put something on it, right, that it wasn't necessarily used to. And then as you keep doing that same movement and you're working through this progression here, you go through this resistance where your body is becoming more resilient to this exercise. And you're actually starting to see those increases. So uh, for those not watching on the video here, uh, during that alarm state, you you should have like a decrease kind of in performance, right? And then as your body gets more resilient, you see that uptick going towards uh, back to where you started and uh, hopefully above that. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase is what we call super compensation. So this is where the deload kind of comes into effect here. So you time your deload out correctly so that you take resistance off the body or stress off of the body and your body keeps in that upward uh 
uh, trend so that now you're finishing this phase with a deload included in a state that's higher than where you started, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what that super compensation theory is, that as you take that deload, your body will continue to make those adaptations even though you've taken the load off of your body, um, the, the stress from that phase right there, okay? So that's kind of important in how that works. And um, that deload, like I said, it's the recovery piece uh, that allows your body to adapt from physical stress, okay? Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about the uh, reverse of that, okay? Um, diminished returns and like this overtraining uh, concept here, mm -hmm. kind of when your body is when you keep pushing, right, when you, you go into a phase too long and you start to not see that upward trend anymore, now you're starting to see a trend that's that's worse than your alarm state, right? Mm -hmm. So your body's not adjusting because you didn't back off. You didn't give it the opportunity to recover. You just kept trying to push more mm -hmm. and more and more and more. And I know a lot of people kind of get uh, addicted to this concept of, I just got to keep working, right? Like I got to go hard every single mm -hmm. day, right? Yeah, you got to go hard, but you need to be intentional about when you're going hard. Go right. hard on your training days, right? And go hard after recovery on your recovery days, right? right. So like focus on go 100% at whatever your focus needs to be for that day. Right. If it's training, all right, it's training. If it's um, conditioning, great, it's conditioning. Mm -hmm. If it's active resting. recovery, yeah, <laughs> resting, rest, right? Rest to yeah. the, the maximum there because your body needs to rest in order to make those um, those adaptations occur and like stick right mm -hmm. so you don't want to train too long and um in duration and you don't want to add too much volume on top of it either because then you'll start to see those diminished returns as you keep going as well right like so right. you can't um you, you can't just keep doing more sets and more sets and more reps and more reps because at some point you're just your body's going to fail and you're not going to see what you think that you're going to see just by quote unquote grinding it out okay yeah. don't be a grinder okay a joe no. joe ken said this this <laughs> is where i got this whole grind versus hustle thing joe ken said this all right he said don't don't grind like grinding is where you wear stuff down okay be a hustler right mm. hustle hustlers they like add to their wealth right yeah they're trying to get more money okay you want to build your physical wealth okay be a hustler not a grinder all right good to know yeah for sure for sure um just quickly kind of talking about the uh the diminished returns overtraining and this um uh deload concept here um you probably want to go about four to six weeks before you hit a deload all right that allows your body to get some adaptations in. it's good i think the nsca text says like the max you can do is eight weeks but there's some research out there by um thompson et al in 2019 mm -hmm. uh, they found that longer uh, training longer than six weeks resulted in a plateau of maximal strength right so that's probably about that sweet spot is is six weeks right so you either mm -hmm. want to go uh, some people go three in a deload but if you want to go like four and a deload five and a deload six and a deload whatever whatever mm -hmm. works for your schedule your, your plan all that stuff just allow your body to um make those proper adaptations, whether that's coordination or skill of actual movement and then the physical adaptations from the muscles um, or the energy system, whatever you're trying to train at that point. But mm -hmm. what I kind of laid out, I just kind of gave an example of like how I would do it, right? First, you have your, most of the time you have your intro week, um, which doesn't mean that you're not working. It just means that you either have either um, come back from a period of not having athletes there or not really engaging in structured uh, resistance training mm -hmm. or uh, sports performance training, whatever, whatever you're doing. I don't know if it's on the field or on the weight room, right? So you have that intro week where you're 
introducing the stimulus or the uh, stress for the first time via exercises or drills, right? So you're, you're, you're getting back into it and your body's going to be sore from that. Right. Uh, going back to the alarm phase that we had. Yeah. Uh, so I usually say there's an intro week, but it could still be a work week. It's probably just a little bit less, right? Like you've got fewer sets or you've got fewer reps or mm -hmm. your um, um, percentage 1RM intensity is a little bit lower. Yeah. Uh, and then you go into your work weeks, whether that's however that fits in your plan. Like if it's four weeks of work, five weeks of work, if it's only three weeks of work, whatever, however that fits into you after the intro week. And then you have your deload. Now, uh, in your deload, it's a reduction of volume or intensity, right? Mm -hmm. you got going on. However you choose to do that, right? Um, but also, I think that some points you can use your deload as an intro for the next phase, right? So like you're, okay. um, you're obviously doing less load, less volume, but introducing uh, like may maybe you're changing one exercise mm -hmm. in the next phase. And so you're doing a really light version of it in your deload week just to introduce and get that skill um, component of it out of the way. Right? right, right. So then you don't have to spend a whole nother week doing intro stuff. Right, right. So you're so now your first week of the next program becomes more of a work week, mm -hmm. quote unquote. I mean, this is, these are my terms right. um, than an intro week. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that that's a concept that you could you could introduce or you could play with um, mm -hmm. or, or have in your program. But I mean, obviously, you got to be careful that you're not just you can't throw too much variability out there in your deload because the new stimulus and that variance that you have in an exercise could create more stress right. because your body's having to adjust to something else. Right. So, so you probably I, have to be strategic in right. what you would introduce if yeah. you do that. This is an easy example that I'll give here uh, just for this whole concept here. Let's say that your first phase was mostly front squat. Mm -hmm. Then in that next phase or, or in your deload week, I think you could do back squat, but mm -hmm. I mean, obviously with a very low percentage, but you could intro or just make sure that, you know, hey, we're, we're going to back squat right now um, at these percentages or just the bar or whatever. I don't know how mm -hmm. your deload is going to go, but you could introduce something like that. Pretty similar. Right. But I wouldn't do like we're going uh, we've been front squatting now in our deload week. We're going to do, you know, like Bulgarian split squat. You know, mm -hmm. um, well, you're probably going to be pretty sore from that, even if you do a body weight, right? right? And you haven't been doing unilateral training right, very or, much at all. Yeah. Or, or unilateral training in that fashion where there's a larger range of motion, however you manipulate body angle. But yeah, it, it's different, right? But so, yes, very different. Yeah. So th that's my example there. But uh, very important to have your periodization set up for success by giving yourself the opportunity to recover with a deload week, right? Mm -hmm. uh, making sure that you're operating under a program that's progressive in nature, um, that is has that said principle because you've got a specific result that you're trying to go for that helps you in your sport. So the main components of that should be geared towards it, right? Whether that's conditioning with energy system or whether that's lifting for uh, muscular strength or power, um, you need to make sure that your program is geared towards that end result at whatever time frame um, that that it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's a little bit about the deload for everyone. Yeah. Can you explain the different? We were talking about this a little before. What's the difference between a deload and a taper? Because mm. um, you're a swimmer, you you had lots of tapers. We had didn't lots you? of tapers. They were my favorite. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, what what are what are the differences? Yeah, so um, 
this is probably my opinion, but I also I think I, I just think it's innately true for mm-hmm. strength coaches to understand is that uh, a taper is a form of deload. Right. However, I, I don't deloading is not tapering. Okay. The, the reason why it's um, it's a time frame difference. So deloading should only be for a week, right? right. Um, because you're trying to get your body just a little bit of recovery there for mm-hmm. that week, right? But then we're getting back into the stress, right? Because we need to continue in that progression of that periodization. Tapering is where we're taking uh, stress off a little bit at a time as we get to a, a certain event, right? Like right. usually you do it before like conference finals or like big events, yeah. big meets. Um, so it's just the time frame where tapers happen longer, right? right? But you have to be careful because I've seen this happen with long tapers, like mm-hmm. three-week tapers or something. Mm-hmm. I've seen athletes get like mentally more fatigued, like mm-hmm. just mentally out of it. Yeah. Because a taper is like three, four weeks and they're like, gosh, you know, like, yeah. like oh, here we are on a taper, still on the taper. Or yeah. they like, they take themselves out of the intent of the training mm. because it's a taper and they've been doing it for a while and they're just yeah. kind of like, going through the motions, quote unquote. Yeah. So, uh, I could see how that could happen. Right. I think in, from my perspective, (laughs) I think it put me in more of a positive headspace. I don't, I honestly don't remember how long they were. Um, and it probably changed like from when I was younger to then when I was a little bit older, but I just remember that it took more of like the physical stress, I think of, practice and then going to school and training like it just took some of that off my body so I think knowing like going into practice it's going to be a little bit shorter the volume is going to be a a little bit less Mm -hmm. but being able to really commit to being intentional with that with the those sets or you know whatever I think that really helped me personally mentally so but I could see on the flip side how it's like Ugh, like this is annoying. I just want to get to states or I just want to get to conference and like do my best. And like, I feel like I'm wasting my time here or whatever it might be. Right. I could see how that could happen. Yeah. So, I mean, my opinion here would be about two weeks maybe of taper, mm-hmm. allowing for that first week to just be a little bit of an adjustment downward in volume or intensity. And then the next week being just a little bit more, but, um, you got to be careful because you want to keep all the training residuals that you had. Right? right. So, I mean, that's a the good kind of segue into training residuals. There's a difference between detraining and um, deloading and tapering. Mm-hmm. Detraining would be like, I've stopped training for some reason. Like, uh, I don't know. Some schools do this all the time, um, especially schools where, um, their coach may be doing their, um, their like sport coach may be doing mm-hmm. their stuff, their strength conditioning. Um, but you know, D three has got it backwards though. We, we can talk about that later, but okay. I think D three has got it backwards. Um, but they just stopped training all of a sudden. Right. And they're like, yeah, we've got to focus on sport. You know, we did all this work in the off season. Well, I mean like you're going to be detrained at some point, right? Like your, yeah. your strength residuals only last a certain period of time. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, I know we talked about this on, on some webinars, uh, before, and I've kind of brought this up to other people, but, you know, um, by the, the, the book, I would say strength lasts 30, 30 days, plus or minus five, <laughs> uh, power will last you, uh, 15 days. I think it's plus or minus five as well for that mm-hmm. one. Um, and then speed 
which is the most fleeting one. Yeah. Five days, plus or minus three, two, 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 two or three, two or three. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I think Something it's like three. That. Um, yeah. So obviously there's a, there are characteristics or adaptations that you want to hold on to more at certain points of the year, right? So it's more mm-hmm. important to train those at certain points, but don't abandon strength. Remember what I right. told you at the very beginning, it's the foundation for all of it, right? Mm-hmm. You can't start losing strength, right? Because you will start losing force capabilities elsewhere, right. Right? right? However, you can train, you know, strength and then focus on like speed and stuff or, mm-hmm. or you can get away with it for just focusing on other things for a little while. But it, regardless, bottom line is you need to continue to train because mm-hmm. you don't want to lose everything that you worked hard for in your off-season, pre-season pe- uh, period. So um, that's the difference between like detraining and deloading. Um, or tapering is you're going to start losing it if you don't do anything. So it's important to to know that when you're deloading and tapering, you're still exercising, right? right. It's just the amount, whether that's load or reps, uh, weight or reps, is just lower at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Do you have anything? Nutrition take your side. deload weeks. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Mean, take them. Nothing crazy. Um, I think there's kind of this misconception or just this – thought in the sports world, I think in general that like on rest days or when you're resting, your nutrition should look the same and you're resting so that you need to, you know, eat more, eat less calories or just eat less in general. And for the majority of the athletes for the purpose of this podcast and the athletes and the audience that we're kind of speaking to, if you're a performance athlete and your main goal or main outcome is to elicit a specific performance marker, whether it be getting faster, getting stronger, blah, 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 to become a better athlete and move on to the next level, you don't need to focus on changing that. Um, In your deload week, I would say that that would be a good time to really focus on honing in and really not necessarily perfecting, but being very intentional with what you're eating and using that time to do what you're supposed to be doing nutritionally, aka eating enough calories, making sure you're reaching your energy balance needs, whatever that might be, whatever, you know, your nutrition dietitian has set for you, um, making sure you're focusing on eating things that are high in antioxidants, getting all your micronutrients. So that could be a good time to really focus on bringing a lot of color into your diet. Maybe when you're you know, maybe when your training volume is really high, your appetite's not that great. So a deload week could be a really good time to kind of make up for that and, and maybe train your gut a little bit more um, and that sort of thing. So I would say for the majority of those athletes, we don't need to train any, uh, change anything, but just keep it the way that it is supposed to be and make sure you're eating all the things you need to so that when you go back into that next week of back up to your training week, your glycogen stores are replenished. Um, you know, you, you're you not going into that new work week or that new training, uh, what do you call it, program, um, feeling depleted yeah. even after your deload week. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I was wondering if you read my notes here. I um, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just read your mind. <laughs> yeah, so like eating less on your deload, it could be negatively affecting your next week. Right. Right, so it's like um, you don't have as much in reserve or your body has gotten mm-hmm. used to this lower uh, calorie um, mm-hmm. uh, allotment. And so now yeah. you don't have the energy to get back into it, right? Because that right. deload only lasts that one week. Right. If you take a step back with your nutrition, it will probably put you a step back 
on your first week Correct. in the next phase. Correct. And I think that's assuming that you're eating enough and doing the right things through the first training right, phase. Right, because yeah. if you're not, um, even if you're not overtraining, if you're not eating enough, then that could potentially your body can see that as overtraining mm -hmm. because you're not fueling it adequately to do even that training or what you're doing right then. So there's a couple of factors that go into that of, of right. when the nutrition piece can really, you know, be a detriment, um, either going into the deload week or even coming out of the deload week. So that would be number one is to make sure that in your training phase, you're eating adequately and you're doing the things you need to do and then carrying that into your deload week. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you, you just heard this piece that we just talked about and you find it fascinating and you're interested in it or, even you need a, a deeper explanation of why that might be important. You need to go back and listen to our energy availability podcast where mm -hmm. Claire talks about just the importance of having enough calories and enough energy with your macro and micronutrients. Like your whole diet needs to be in a position where you can provide your body with the right resources mm -hmm. for physical activity. So, yeah. uh, or, or not even just physical activity, but just for living. life functions, <laughs> right? That you don't even think about. So right. it's very important that you understand that concept as well. So that would be a great episode to go mm -hmm. back and listen to as well. Energy availability. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, th um, those are great points. I mean, because every time you you say something like that, like I keep going back to that episode of like yeah. why it's so important. And it, it just, you know, kind of reiterates it. The more, the more that we start talking about this stuff, my mind goes back to energy availability yeah, and just how that's so important in the foundation of anything that we're doing physically, right? Because mm -hmm. our body has to keep up with itself through um, heart pumping and talking with your hands and breathing and all of that stuff, like yeah. stuff that people don't think about, but also we're adding these other stresses on top of it, these mm -hmm. other activities that require, um, a lot of nutrients that mm -hmm. people are just like, well, I eat all the time or like, I eat enough calories, but do you though? Cause you don't even know what's happening when you're not physically active. Right. right? Yeah. And it's important to just understand like, Sure, I burn these amount of calories, uh, supposedly from my, you know, Fitbit watch, or yeah, that my has Apple up to Watch. Like a 50% error rate. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I replaced all the calories that it said, right? Uh -huh. But, but you're not really because there's so many other there's things much. happening with your body, right? Yeah. So it's important to to stay on top of your nutrition because that will fuel mm -hmm. and really um, help you get to the results that you're. Um, that you're wanting through your physical activity. Mm -hmm. So good stuff, Claire. Not just yeah. on this podcast, but on that one in particular yeah. that I keep going back to. That's a good one, I think, for most, especially younger athletes too, because I didn't know that. Nobody nobody knows that. No, they um, don't. And if you're looking at energy balance and you're looking at energy needs from a BMR calculator on Google, you're looking in the wrong place. Right, right. Um, yeah, but I will say there one caveat to that of maybe changing your nutrition on like a deload week or whatever would be more um, the only time that I would maybe work with athletes to where we're changing nutrition on like rest days or being more strategic with our nutrition on deload weeks would be athletes where weight is a factor. So like weight class sports, maybe we could change some things in that week too again where if the training level or the training load is less, that maybe our nutrition needs to be um, tweaked a little bit to where we're getting the majority of our carbohydrates like around our workout so that we're still, you know, right. um, fueling enough and then replenishing enough. Um, but 
really those would probably be the only athletes that I would say need to change anything in that time because it maybe could affect something. However, I would really only do that if it's close to like a competition. You know, if we're mm -hmm. deloading like in the middle of a season and our uh, kind of like peak point is still like a couple months away, I would probably say the same thing. We probably don't need to change anything. So there are a couple times or a couple circumstances where we might, but for the most part, we don't need to change anything unlike maybe social media tells you to. Gotcha. Yeah. If you find um, any of this information uh, very interesting or you're intrigued <laughs> to learn a little bit more about um, any of this, whether it's training, nutrition, um, there'll be a link in the description that mm -hmm. you can click on as well. Just uh, set up a quick little 15, 20 minute chat with Claire and I, so we yeah. can just learn a little bit about you and, and maybe um, teach you a few things and uh, get you set on the right path, you know, yeah. um, working with us. So mm -hmm. click the, uh, the link there. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, comment. Comment. <laughs> comment if you're watching us on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. If not, I mean, you can always hit us up. Find us on the website, www.acesnation.org. Mm -hmm. um, you can always send us a message there if you have a question as well. Yep. Um, our, our link to um, the scheduled Zoom, the 15, 20-minute Zoom that I just talked about is also on our website. Yep. Um, you can find that information there. Um, hope you've mm -hmm. been enjoying these podcasts. We definitely enjoy just talking about things that we're, you know, that we love and, and mm -hmm. we like to educate people and just, you know, sometimes we like to, you know, just go off on different, uh, different rants yeah, and, and stuff. Yeah, talk about but, trail mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Uh, we hope you have a great day. Thank yeah. you. Catch you in the next one.